I just wanted to start with a little story here. Um, <clears throat> when my brother and I were growing up uh, in the home, you know, like, we're talking like five, six, seven years old, um, <clears throat> um, it was with a single mother at the time because my, my dad had left. Uh, but we got together often with another single mom, friend of hers that had three children, two, two girls and a boy. And uh, somehow we created a game called Mean Mothers. And um, everyone wanted to always be the, the mean mother because that meant that they were in charge. And um, here's how this game worked. The, the mother had a wooden spoon, like a little special from the kitchen, and uh, to use for discipline. And it started with her putting the other kids to bed and uh, telling them good night. And then after a few moments, uh, She'd go out of the room, then the kids would just go crazy nuts and disobedience and uh, start running through the house. And then the mean mother's goal, she had to like run around the house with the wooden spoon, catch them, and then put them back in, in bed. And uh, so <clears throat> she was the mean mother, but uh, I never wanted to be that person. But I'm guessing some of you guys like to play games as children as well, and where you were in charge, like King of the Mountain, or um, I had all boys, so... You know, we played a lot of backyard football games, backyard baseball, and, you know, a lot of times you might can identify with this. You might have wanted to be the all-time quarterback, you know, that you're kind of the guy in charge there, or you wanted to be the, the pitcher. Uh, I got to be the pitcher most of the time, but they'd always want to be the pitcher because um, we like to be in charge. Well, the ultimate game that we play in our lives of being in charge is called playing God. And we can get really good at it when we go about making plans and doing life um, with little or no interest in considering God in the affairs of our life. And um, that game, playing God, it takes a, a little bit of touch of arrogance to play it. Um, but if we're honest with ourselves, we're pretty good at that too. So between the lines of this passage we have here in James today, we're going to see a number of things about that game. And I don't want us to miss any of them. So I want to start, though, with a recap <clears throat> of last week. Um, that's why I read the verses from 11 and 12. <clears throat> so um, uh, I'll read them again. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So, as far as this game called playing God goes, in verses 11 and 12, James' focus has to do with playing God in others' lives. But then, starting in verse 13, he turns the attention to playing God in our own lives. And then he's going to wrap things up in verse 17, and so will I with some thoughts that have to do with deciding that we're going to stop playing this game altogether. As I said, it takes a touch of arrogance to play the game, and that's really the opposite of humility. Um, so these behaviors are not what living a life of humility looks like, uh, but rather the opposite. And this passage exposes one of the biggest contrasts between the pride of man and the providence of God. So the context is really about pride and arrogance, as Eric pointed out last week, he really even brought those points out last week. 
So first, a quick look into verses 11 and 12 shows how we speak and think about others when we are playing God as it relates to others. The objective of that game is that we consider ourselves superior to other people, and that gives us the right to put them down in various ways, whether it be with our speech and talking about others or with our thoughts in judging them. Um, last week, Eric made this statement, which you guys might remember. The speech of the church reveals the theology of the church. I was thinking about that week, that, that statement this week um, in light of this, this game that we play, and I was thinking, how so? Well, for example, if we don't correctly understand the theology just for, of the grace of God, right, in both yours um, and your fellow believers' uh, lives, um, then what can happen here that James is talking about is what happens in our lives. We start to consider ourselves superior to others and so forth. But James ends with, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So a correct understanding of God's grace and its working in your life and the life of fellow believers will drive an attitude of humility towards yourself and others because God's grace in saving you and sanctifying you is equally sufficient in saving and sanctifying your fellow brothers and sisters. And when James says, who are you? What he is saying is that none of us is qualified to play God. We simply do not know all the facts of what is going on in the lives of others to make just sweeping statements and judgments about them or against them. And we don't always know what God is doing behind the scenes um, to accomplish his purposes in someone else's life. And this leads us to how we play God in our own lives, starting in verse 13. Now the objective of this game is that we imagine ourselves as the final authority over our lives. And therefore, you're going to live it without the recognition or the dependence on God. You're on your own, and you're going to live like it. And you're going to operate strictly by your game plan. You set the rules. And um, James shows us exactly how this game is played um, in the following verses. And we're going to go through them one by one here. <clears throat> so this is how this game is played, playing God in your own life. First off, you set your own schedule. I'll start here with the first verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow. So what they do is they presume to be in charge of when they will do things. That's, that's, that's number one. Second, you select your own path. That's in these words, we will go into such and such a town. So they presume to be in control of their movements and their destinations. Third, you determine your own time limits. We will stay there a year. Fourth, we arrange our own activities. We will trade there. And then they presume to be in control of what they will do when they get there. And fifth, we even predict our own outcomes. We'll make a profit. They even presume to be in control of how successful they will be. But James puts a screeching halt to that and says, hold on a minute. 
And by the way, he's, he's not finding fault with, with good planning, planning well, okay? This is certainly not an assault on having goals or plans for the future, but always with the Lord having the right to overrule at any point. We'll talk more about that later. But what he is addressing is, is a presumptuous confidence, a mistaken, misplaced confidence, being so sure, being so confident that we plow right ahead without much thought or any thought at all of the Lord's intervention in our lives. Um, so I had an uncle who, who died. This was years ago, and it was in another state, and I uh, was not able to go to the funeral, but um, I had heard from my mother later that um, they played the song, My Way. Probably you've heard it from Frank Sinatra. And um, anyway, um, when I heard that, it was just, it was kind of heartbreaking to hear as a Christian, um, because I had spoken to this uncle uh, not long after I had gotten saved, actually, um, about the gospel, and his response was, was not real favorable to it. Um, but that song, if you just think about the words to it, um, it's, it's the epitome of arrogance and a humanistic worldview. And uh, I'll share just one verse from it that goes like this. I planned each charted course, each careful step, along the byway, and oh, I mean, oh, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. You see the whole issue here in this section and these words that James brings out are right here in these words, you boast in your arrogance. So James applies the brakes to where you can almost hear the screeching sound in verse 14. Um, these people think they're in control, but James calls that boasting in your arrogance. And um, I just want to point out that, that this word arrogance here, um, boasting your arrogance, it's only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's in 1 John 2.16, which you all will be familiar with it when I, when I read it. Um, it's that verse is, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Which word in that verse do you think is the same word as arrogant? Pride. Yes, the word pride. And um, so what is the pride of life? I think in, in the context of what I'm talking about tonight, it is, it is someone saying this, I have my life and I will do exactly how I please. You and nobody else decides what I do with my life because it's my life. So get out of my face, God. God, you don't decide whether I live or die. I decide. God, you don't decide by your will what I do. I decide. That's the pride of life. And what does James call it? He calls it evil. You boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Now we might be like, come on, Andy. That, I mean, you're taking it too seriously. I, I never have that attitude towards God. But is that attitude very much different from going about our daily affairs without the slightest regard for God's intimate, personal involvement in what happens in our lives? I mean, one could be, you know, said by an atheist, and we might not be atheists, but sometimes I think we have to admit that we might live as if we have attitudes, as if 
where atheists are behaviors would be not much far off from how an atheist lives. So what's their problem? What don't they know? What are, what are, what are these people not coming to terms with? What are they either acting against, okay, um, intentionally, or just plain acting in ignorance of, okay? And I think even in our lives, a lot of times, we're acting in ignorance of something. Not I think sometimes we might be acting against things, uh, but I think for most of the time we're acting in ignorance of something. So verse 14 says this. This is one something that they're acting against or in ignorance of. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So first off, James wants to point out that we have zero assurance that we will even see tomorrow. And um, just ponder this for a second. I mean, this is, it's kind of like a master of the obvious kind of thing, but um, there's not one person hearing my voice right now that knows one thing for sure about tomorrow. Um, we probably, almost all of us think we do. All, almost all of us thinks we know exactly what's gonna happen tomorrow. But every one of us, it's a massive question mark. And you could write down the word unexpected in your planner that has all your plans written down for tomorrow. There could be an unexpected illness could be revealed. An unexpected accident could occur. An unexpected stroke could take away your ability to speak or move a part of your body. An unexpected financial reversal that you suddenly become aware of tomorrow where there's not a hint of it today. An unexpected death of someone you know who is now gone. We simply do not know. So start there. We'll stop playing God as soon as we realize each day that we don't know anything about tomorrow. Second, James also wants to point out that they do not understand what life is. What is your life, he says. So what is life? And this word, what is life, what, in the Greek, uh, really could be stated like this, what sort of thing, what sort of thing is life? And it says here, you are a mist. Think of a, a, a mist, other translations say a, a vapor, a breath, okay? When you breathe out on a cold morning, as a word picture, you see your breath like a vapor for just a little time, and then it, it disappears. Um, so what is the nature of this life? Well, what is he trying to get at here? Well, it's, it's short. Um, it's fragile. Um, it's not in your control. Um, it's finite, and it's dependent. This word is also used in the, in the New Testament when referring to a vapor of smoke. This word that we see here in the ESV is mist. And... Um, <clears throat> I don't know about you all, but when I'm sitting around a fire, um, it's annoying uh, wherever I'm sitting, the smoke, just the vapors, always seem to come in my direction. So I'll take my chair and I'll move to the other side, and then all of a sudden the wind blows, and now the smoke's coming in my direction again. And the point is, I'm not in control of, the, of those vapors. They go where they want to. Um, God's in control of them, but I'm not. So we have no guarantee of a continuation of this life. So James refers to life as, as he says here, 
a little time. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes. How long will you live? You have no clue, and I have no clue. So third, talked about, we don't know anything about tomorrow. Um, these people did not understand what life was. And the third thing is that James points out that they do not understand who God is. Okay? Um, and that's in these verses. Instead, you ought to say, it is the Lord. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Um, James says this is how we ought to be, be talking versus our entire way of talking being presumptuous. When James talks about what we ought to say, he's talking about a statement of God's sovereignty. What does it mean we will live? It means if he doesn't will it, then we won't live. Every beat of our hearts, the Lord decides. Every breath we take, the Lord decides. The Lord created us, and he sustains us, and he decided the day we were born, and he decides the day we will die. And secondly, if the Lord wills, we will do this, or we will do that. We may make a profit, we may trade, we may spend a year there, or we may not. Um, and God's will will decide those things. It's not only our lives that are in the hands of the Lord, it is also our doings, the things that we that we do. If you do this, God has willed that you do this. If you do that, God has willed that you do that. This is one of the most powerful statements of God's sovereignty in all of the Bible. And if we don't believe these things and talk this way, then James says we are boasting. And we might say, hey, what's boasting about that? All I said was, tomorrow I'm flying to California to sell some products and make a profit. Well, it's boasting because it's presumptuous. It has nothing to do with submission to the Lord's will in it. And there's no trace of this person's acknowledgement of God's governance in his life. So again, I just want to make clear, God is not against planning and doing. It's not against planning your trip to California and, and selling your goods. Uh, Paul planned and accomplished a lot of things. Um, he obviously didn't just... Uh, happened to bump along through life. You know, I'm sure he was uh, a good planner. Um, but let's look at how Paul went about his affair, his affairs in light of these things, okay? So I'm going to read just some verses um, about how Paul's approach was to the sovereignty of God. Um, Acts 18, 21. It says, But on taking leave of them, uh, the Ephesians, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. In Romans 1, uh, verses 9 and 10, it says, Paul said this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I, may, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. 
And then Romans 15, verse 30 and 32, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Just something we can learn from that. I mean, we can pray these things, we can plan, we can pray, but he might not be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Um, he might not be able to come to them and be refreshed in their company. Um, but, um, but he understands the sovereignty of God in it. 1 Corinthians 4.19 But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. 1 Corinthians 16.7 For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. And then Philippians 2.24 and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now to Paul, these statements were not just religious cliches to make him sound pious or humble, but they are expressions of his deepest beliefs that God's will ultimately determines where he goes, when he goes, and what he accomplishes if he goes. I'm going to say that again because... This is the attitude that we need to have, that God's will ultimately determines where he goes, when he goes, and what he accomplishes if he goes. Um, you know, I, I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been meditating on this, you know, for the last number of weeks because I knew that I was going to be talking about this passage. And so um, even the last couple of weeks, um, I was praying about the music, you know, when we were doing the worship time, and, and, and I was praying that it would go really well, and there wouldn't be distractions, and God would help us to, to, to play well, and, and, and everything, and, uh, and you guys remember, like, two weeks ago, the, the software, you know, it, it messed up, and then the week after that, I think, like, I, I just kind of, like, lost my mind, and missed some chords and lost where I was in the music. It just, I mean, and as I was up there, I, I, I was re remembering, I was thinking, well, God, if that's the way you want it to go, you know, that's fine with me. But I mean, it's because I was, I've been meditating on these verses and I, I just, of course, I didn't want it to go that way. I wasn't praying that it would go that way, but that's how it went. So that was God's will. That was how it was, that's how he wanted it to go. Uh, so what is James really getting at? He is exhorting us to have a mindset or an, an attitude of mind that plans and lives from an acknowledgement that the authority and power to determine what the future holds belongs to God and not us. Again, nothing wrong with good planning uh, or even praying uh, over those plans, or even putting together a game plan for the year. Just remember at any time along the way, at any moment, it may be interrupted, and it may be redirected, it may be revoked by the one who has the right to rule over your life. Um, maybe for some, it would be a good habit if you use a planner 
to every once in a while add these words in somewhere on the page, if this is what the Lord wants, or if this is what the Lord plans, just to help you not forget that God is in control of all things, circumstances, and, and outcomes. We need to always remember that he has the right to interrupt and interfere at any time. He has the sovereign right to revise or revoke any plan at any time. It's called being the sovereign God of our lives, and he is that. So if nothing else, this kind of thinking should keep us, right, from being shocked or surprised because you back off and acknowledge to him be the glory, to him be the praise, whatever the plan. Our lives and times and doings are in his hands, not his will, I mean, his will is not in our hands. Um, I just had breakfast with, with Dave the other morning, Dave Manny, and, uh, and, and we were talking about this topic, and, and it was just encouraging to learn some things from him as well, and he, he was bringing that up, that, that a lot of times we as humans, we're asking the wrong question, especially when, when we say things like, why did God let this happen? You know, that's, that's like the wrong question. Not even the, it's not even the right question because that's asking the question as if God, you are at my disposal, not I'm the clay and you're the potter. I mean, why is the clay even asking the question? Um, so, so it's just, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just submitting to to God's will in our lives and God's purposes and God's plans that he's doing on the earth. Um, so, uh, therefore, um, if we have these attitudes, it should save us from so much complaining, so many shocks and surprises, if we'll simply keep in mind that he is God and we are not. And when unexpected things come up, we can start with this. Thank you, Lord. You have every right to intervene. And this obviously is your plan or it wouldn't have occurred. So I just want to reaffirm my commitment to you. And I want to tell you that it's your will that pleases me, not mine. Thank you for your will unfolding in my life. So let's just stop the playing God game. Well, how do we stop playing? I think part of the answer lies here in verse 17. Um, but first, I want to share a story uh, to make a point. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> have you ever run across people, and um, you, you might have heard this expression, they don't, they don't have a filter, they have no filters. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I was on a business trip to Buffalo, and I mean, th there was a lot of uh, people around. It was big waves even. Uh, in this meeting at the supplier, and uh, this one guy uh, in, from our company, um, he was a guy that had no filters. And so it was just, I mean, when, when people are like that, honestly, it, you have to like bite your tongue or you're going to start cracking up um, in the middle of a meeting because he's saying things that are so bombastic. And um, so we're in Buffalo, and we're at a company in Buffalo where all these people have grown up and lived in Buffalo. And Buffalo prides itself on two things that I know of. 
one, that they invented buffalo wings, okay? And two, um, there's a, a certain um, sandwich. Does anyone know what it's called? It's called beef on whack. Okay, it's it's like sliced beef on some call it camel whack bun or something. Okay, and uh, anyway, so we're in the meeting uh, like the day after we'd gotten there, and he just starts talking about like, hey, I thought buffalo was supposed to be known for wings or something, and and Duff's that place Duff's is the one that said that they invented it. So I went over there and ate some wings. He said like. They were nasty. So, like, I mean, Buffalo Wild Wings is better than, than that place. And then, so then I went over and tried one of those beef on wet sandwiches. He said, like, that was the worst sandwich I ever had. And he said, like, I, you know, this is, I don't know what you guys think about this stuff up here. And anyway, everyone just, like, was just in shock because he's just insulting all the people from Buffalo, you know, in this statement. And, um, and I was just biting my tongue because this guy said so many other things that are, are almost make you laugh out loud because of how he does it. But um, my point about that is that here James is in verse 17, and this verse has no filters. I mean, I want to I just look at it. <clears throat> um, verse 17, he says... So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There's, there's no filters there. And if you, really, if you really just let that verse sink in, it's quite sobering. Um, to fully understand what this verse is saying, let's see what it is not saying. It's not saying that proactively doing the wrong thing is sin. There's plenty of other verses that address doing wrong things, okay? And it's not saying that whoever knows the right things to do, good for you, you're home free. It's not saying that either, just because you know the right things to do. What it's saying is whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, meaning they do not proactively do what they know is the right thing to do, but rather they remain in a state of, let's just say, stagnancy. They're motionless or stationary. Um, for that person, it is sin. Now, in the context of our passage, obviously the right thing to do is to humble ourselves, recognize that we are not God, and recognize that we are dependent on God and submit ourselves to the sovereignty of God. So that's the right thing to do in the context of this passage. But in a, in a bigger context, what other things do we already know are the will of God? Okay, there's, there, there, there's things that we know are the will of God. You know, we don't have to wander around going, God, what's your will for me to do? You know, um, technically all the things that are commanded in scriptures for us to do, or God's will for us to do. But I just want to highlight some of them, just a, just a few that actually have the words, the will of God in them. 1 Peter 2, 15 and 16 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I'll close with a, a personal testimony. Um, I don't know why, but, but I feel like the uh, older I get, um, and, and maybe this has nothing to do with age, I probably need to stop saying the phrase, the older I get, because, like I said, it, it might not have anything to do with anything. But no matter how, no matter how good my walk with the Lord might be today, say I'm walking on cloud nine, you know, and um, my relationship with the Lord is just, I mean, for, as far as from my perspective, it, it is fantastic today, and, and, and I'm, you know, following Him and, and doing um, as, as He's leading. Um, but it's like when I go to sleep and wake up the next day, it's like my, I'll call it spirit meter or spiritual meter um, I wake up the next day and it's, it resets to zero. It's like whatever was there the day before is not there. It's all, it's all gone. And um, at least this, this is my, what I'm experiencing. Okay. Um, and I think, I think that I'm, I'm truly learning to depend on God to give me the grace needed to live one day at a time. As Jesus said, I mean, talk about just focusing on one day at a time and to not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, in, in light of this, I think the takeaway to having the right mindset about life and about God is to take one day at a time and acknowledge God at the beginning of each day and as often as you need to throughout. And I think that is what Paul's secret was to maintain an awareness of the sovereignty of God in his own life. Um, where I get that from is I just think of what he wrote in Romans 12. Um, he, you know, he, he's saying this from a heart of, you don't see him say this very much like this, but in Romans 12, 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Other verses, translations say, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I don't know about you all, but at a minimum, I need to be doing this daily, and oftentimes multiple times a day. And I'll be transparent here. When, when I don't, my attitudes and actions quickly devolve to worldly attitudes and actions, and, and that could go on for days at a time. But the good news from Romans um, 12 is that it takes one decision, just one choice to get back on track. 
and that is to present your body as a living sacrifice, only acceptable to God. Um, and um, instead of ignoring God in your life. So if you feel like your life is a bit off the rails with God here this evening, I appeal to you, along with Paul, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now then, we'll look at what he wrote last to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. It says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So A, understand what the will of the Lord is. I think we can just get the answers here in this text. How? Be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Ask God to fill you with the Spirit. Um, yield your life to Him, like it said in Romans 12, 1, um, uh, so that the Spirit can fill you. You're not full of yourself. And see, what do we know to do? What is the will of the Lord? Well, we have several things here, right here in this passage, verses 19 through 21. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, um, I think we have... Uh, a lot of things here that we um, can take with us um, tonight to understand um, how we can view our lives um, with the mindset that God wants us to view our lives um, with Him being in control of, of everything that goes on in our lives. Um, a Scottish poet with this named Horatio Bonar uh, wrote some words. He used he, sometimes he took his words and uh, added them to music and made hymns out of them. But um, this is one. The, I think the hymn was called "Thy Way, Not Mine." Um, but these words state very well an understanding of the sovereignty of God in His life. Thy way, not mine, O Lord. However dark it be, lead me by Thine own hand. Choose out the path for me. Smooth let it be, or rough, it will still be the best. Winding or straight, it leads right onward to thy rest. Take thou my cup, and it with joy or sorrow fill, as best to thee may seem. Choose thou my good and ill. Choose thou for me my friends, my sickness or my health. Choose thou my cares for me, my poverty or wealth. Not mine, not mine, the choice in things great or small. Be thou my God, my, my guide, my strength, my wisdom, and my all. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I just pray, God, that you would um, 
would help us uh, grow in our awareness that you are sovereign over our lives. Just help us grow in our awareness. And, um, wherever we are at tonight, God, I pray that uh, we grow in that awareness. If, if, if we're in somewhere in this room, have a very keen awareness of your sovereignty in our lives. But if some do not have a a real sharp, keen awareness of your sovereignty in your life, but I pray you help them to grow in that area. And um, I believe you can do that, Lord, if we offer our, our lives to you as a living sacrifice, uh, and you'll um, transform our, our minds, transform us by the renewing of our minds um, so that we can understand what, what your will is. Um, and, and not not kick against it, not fight against it, not complain against it. Um, so God, I just pray for your grace in our lives to help us grow in this area. Jesus' name.